Peace, peace, and welcome. Glad you're here. Hey, what's up? Man, I'm glad to be here, dear brother. Really glad to be here. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting down today with uh, uh, a young man that is uh, making waves and building things and changing things and, and making it all look so fly. It only makes sense that, that Ethan Ashley would, would, do, would do it in such a way. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got the, 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 the pleasure of meeting this man like briefly, briefly in Miami. We reconnected in his home, his now hometown, New Orleans. Um, uh, thank you, Mr. Ashley. I appreciate you. Man, I appreciate you, dear brother. I mean, honestly, you know, I think when, I, when you talk about brotherhood and what it looks like and what it feels like, you know, I think the, the connection almost instantly was, you know, this is someone from my tribe. So, like, you know, whatever you, whatever you say, look, let's, let's make it happen. I want to make sure I'm able to do it. And I'm excited that we're able to get this together on today uh, to be able to share my story, but also share our collective story because I think we're, our stories are weaved together. So, mm. Yeah, man. The, 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 half your head is cut off. Is that how you're? Oh, okay. No, that's the, I think that's a, a Zoom thing. I was, I was trying to really get the Howard thing. Oh, that's probably yeah, we see, you know, we I'm always, I'm always, I'm always repping for Howard. That's a, that's a, that's a terrible, <laughs> cheesy thing. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think Howard is the most well-represented college on the cook on Monday morning podcast. I've had more Howard. <laughs> like, legit, I've had a lot. Um, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I wish I went, but I didn't. That's what <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a true Howard, I, I think we'd always say it's never too late, brother. You can always make make you doctor or double doc, whatever you need, bro. Uh, I just get the shirt and pretend. <laughs> <laughs> Is on, is on the Board of Education in New Orleans. In New Orleans, it, it happens to be, I think one of the, I think it's one of the greatest cities in the world, um, you know, right next to San Francisco. It's like the city. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I love going. And uh, we were texting, you were telling me that, uh, that you were COVID positive, which like, yeah. was like, you know, my stomach dropped. Um, and obviously, like you were laughing, you look, you look healthy. Like we're, you know, you're in good spirits. Like, what's, what, when did you find out um, that you were COVID positive? Man, so I found out the day before my birthday. So I'm born on April first. I'm an April Fool's baby, and the day before my birthday, I I get a fever, <clears throat> and I'm like, okay. Let's go get checked because I'm in a house where I, you know, I have a partner, we have two kids, you know, and I just, you know, we have her mother who's living with us. And so it was like, let me go figure out very quickly what's happening here. And, and so we went, stood in line um, at the UNO Center, um, Lake, uh, was it the Lakefront Arena? Uh, and it was like a two hour wait to, like, to go through the experience. And I'm telling this story, side of the story because back maybe four weeks ago, five weeks ago now, 
it was still very nov like novel like the getting testing was novel like we don't even know like so they had just opened up this testing site we go you're in cars when we get up there to enter into the testing site area it probably took us an hour to get to that area and they have basically military individuals um like supporting this area of testing and and they're writing on on the on our car they were writing symbols that were very similar to the symbols that were left on individuals houses after katrina to determine whether or not you know they there was lost uh, lives were lost if individuals were there what was going on right and so they the the military guys were like listen we understand like they were very forthcoming we we know that this may be triggering because of katrina this is not what this means and they were honest to say well this means we're just testing you and not testing her and so they were writing x's and and o's and it was a very interesting experience get through the gate <clears throat> get tested the test in itself is a process it is you know they they are sticking a a long uh uh like um it it feels like a stick but it's not it's more like a long um like a it's like a ear swab but it's a nose swab but it's super long and they they tell you to put your head back and they shove it up feel like they touched my brain and then they, they you, you you cough um but that wasn't it then they're like oh now we got to do the other other side and i was like oh what so they did both my nostrils uh and then we got you know um from there from there on then they go and say look you'll hear from us possibly in the next five to 14 days or something like that they were saying at that time and i heard from them five days later but and and i found out that i was covid positive yeah. in the middle of that i automatically um took precautions to isolate and self-isolate uh and my partner as well um and so because we just assumed she had it i have it we sleep next to each other so on and so forth well you know you go through it that process by day five by day five i was struggling i was dealing with loss of taste loss of smell um my chest was tight mucus uh, fevers and the the most crippling thing was actually the headaches so i had these headaches that were I've never that had never experienced before and taking you know Advil or you know um some type some form of an aspirin to try to cure the headache and and maybe even lower your fever it was just not helping like it 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 was just the headache was immune to the headache medicine and and it was just consistent in a way that made you want to sleep so then I had a loss of appetite because I wanted to sleep all the time and I was hungry. So I was really struggling and this was persistent for about 4 days. And then after I, you know, after that 4th day I started to come to some form of normalcy and then after that it was really just and it's been since since that time um and now I'm going on this is day I think either 39 or 40 of being covid positive and I'll explain 
now I'm just dealing with chest and mucus um, uh, issues in this moment. And I'm not even sure if that's because of allergies, which I do suffer from, or if it's COVID. But, you know, what I will tell you is I'm still positive. I got tested a week and a half ago with my partner. Uh, and she, oddly enough, is negative, And I am positive. And that's a very odd truth because, again, we sleep next to each other every day. And we were self-isolated together. And so... You know, I think the, the, that truth is, is showing me that there is much more to learn about this virus. And there's stuff that people were just not aware of. And, you know, being day 40 of being positive still, uh, coming back in the second test saying I'm positive, my partner is negative. There's just a lot of things that are not aligning with what CDC and other people are, are saying in this moment. But I, I assume that because the virus is so novel, it's it's the, it's a very novel virus and the information that we have is very minimal you know the th the truth of the matter is we don't know how it will uh show up in individual people's um you know bodies and immune systems and what that looks like so all i can say now is that i hope that i have the antibodies uh and i'll be able to uh go outside when outside opens up uh, i think that's the and then be able to do so safely uh, and be able to do so for the family who may not have the antibodies and, you know, being able to go out and shop and do all that stuff that we know is necessary and is, is really important to me right now. Man, man, like I, um, so you're the first person that I've spoken to. Like I, I, I think we've all, a lot of us have met people that have been positive. Um, people, we met people that have passed. And uh, I think there was a time when everyone thought they had it because of the news reports, you know, <laughs> like, like I think like that, cause we closed in San Francisco, we closed down schools. We decided on the, on the 12th of March to close down schools for that following Monday on the 16th. And on Saturday, I could, I, I could barely move. And I was like, I think I was just, I was having like a doubt. I was just wiped out and I thought I had it, you know? And the, the mental toll that that did on me, was crazy, you know? Yeah. By Sunday, yeah. I was like, nah, I'm straight. I'm black. You know, you heard all that coming out? <laughs> so I was thinking like, <laughs> so I was thinking like, um, all right, to be afraid that you have it and find out that you have it. Yeah. That, like, what was that like for you emotionally? So, you know, I think it's it's crazy. So my, my partner, Ariel, she was the person that is like watching the news, hearing what's happening. And, and I, I could tell emotionally she's a, she was afraid. She's like, this is a lot. And, I, you know, on my side, I'm like, I, you know, I think that we, by and large, will be fine um, is what I was thinking. But, you know, when your partner starts to just run facts every day, you know, that are on the news, you know, you can't help but feel like, man, this, this is serious. And it doesn't matter my age or how healthy I am or the fact that I go to the gym every morning and run. Now, none of that matters. Uh, and so, you know, the, the other thing I, I will admit is that I, I'm a cancer survivor. So I was born with neuroblastoma. And so, mm -hmm. you know, obviously there was a fear of having, you know, a pre-existing condition that may exacerbate, you know, COVID-19. Now, mind you, I've been fine 
for, you know, I've been cancer free for over 20 plus years, right? And so, you know, what I would say is that there was definitely a fear of like, man, I hope that pre-existing condition doesn't get you. But when I was going through it, man, I, I, I think even when I was in the worst of it in terms of the headaches and the lack of taste, you know, I, I kept thinking that, you know, I am really blessed because nothing in this moment has me thinking that I'm going to go to the hospital. Like, I, like what I'm dealing with right now, I feel like I am, I can conquer if, if I'm able to like focus and, and get the rest I need and let my body recharge. But it was never a feeling in, in fright of like, I need to go to the ER. And I think mm-hmm. if that level, what I'll say is like in isolation, having that level of fear, like I need to go to the ER, I would tell you mentally that would take a, a different toll on anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're isolated. You're, I mean, I, I, I have friends um, who have been directly impacted in, in terms of death at this point. Um, as you know, New Orleans was, was at one point in time, one of the uh, largest, per, uh, largest infected areas per capita um, in terms of the amount of people that we have. And, and people were dying and are still dying in New Orleans, right, relative to the, to the virus. Uh, and, and so I know people who have passed personally, and it is, you know, in some degree, I can't help but feel like I, I'm lucky. And, and so it's crazy. So I, I haven't really shared my story on social media and real respects or being very boisterous about it. You see a bunch of elected officials like, oh, well, this elected official has been, you know, COVID is COVID positive and all that stuff. And I just feel like in, in me personally, like I'm lucky. And for the people who weren't lucky enough to have their loved ones come home from the hospital, you know, I, I can't imagine what that feels like in this moment. And, and so, I, you know, I kind of feel like, why tell my story, right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on the other side, you know, kind of feels like I feel guilty about it, right? But mm-hmm. then I think even hearing folks like you and others say, well, mentally people are so scared that they don't even know people who ha- are, are, have gotten it, let alone people who've gotten it and are fine, had some symptoms and are good and continuing to be able to, to work and do whatever. So like, I think my story is on two ends of the spectrum. I need to make sure that I'm sharing and letting people know you can live and, and be able to do and work and, and still be uh, productive, even though you're COVID positive. Um, and and that, you know, I think that's my testament in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the when we when you look at the numbers and the, the the positive cases versus like the the people that have passed, you know, a lot a lot of people are recovering. They're they're getting the symptoms or they're asymptomatic and they're recovering. And um, and uh, I mean, uh, first of all, like I think it's really it's really beautiful, inspiring to hear your perspective on like grappling with something that really has turned the world upside down and to say that you're lucky, you know, like, like we're all like, I can't go outside and I feel guilty about going outside, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a powerful message. And I hope you continue to share your story. I'm glad you're doing it uh, with me now. And uh, do, do you know, all right, so the things, the questions that be in my mind, were like, oh, how did I, who gave it to me? Wait, <laughs> <laughs> right? That'd be a <laughs> And then like, <laughs> You know, they're like, I'm thinking like, 
You know, you know, Ethan Ashley is way more sophisticated and like eloquent than I am. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Look, I, 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 I was, I think, I think we were all thinking that. Like, and and you know how many people were asking me the question. And look, you know, it's so funny because for a little bit, I think people are and were ashamed to admit that they had it. Like almost, it, it, almost similar to. What the, what the stigma used to be around having HIV or being HIV positive, right? Like in the beginning stages, cause it's like, you know, what, what, what do I, what do we do? Like, uh, you know, where are we at? Um, and, and, and like people not wanting to touch you basically, right? Like, and, and that is fearful. But at the same, and like, and then it's like, well, who gave it to you? So we know not to go touch them too, you know? Like, and, and I, I think the hard part with all of that is there's no way to know. I mean, there's nothing like a, it's sort of like getting food poisoning mm-hmm. and, and you ate three meals from three different places. You, you, you have an idea, like you could say, oh, I think it was that, but there's no medical um, or, or, or even like, there's just no way that you'd be a hundred percent sure. Like I got it from this. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be negligent of me to even say something like, oh, I got it from, from this because the stigma related to having it or getting it or, you know, I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of people suffer um, economically, even, even as the, the, you know, the, the president continues to call this virus, the Chinese virus and all this type of stuff. And, you know, that's just, that is one racist in, in, in large respects. But it is, it's also extremely harmful to other Americans and, and other people who live their lives in my neighborhood, in my community. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm big on faith. And so I feel like to some degree, you know, I was, you know, I was meant to get it. And, there, you know, you got to take it and, and be able to, to be okay with it. And there's just not enough that we know about it for that not to be the case, right? 2020 is a masterful story. When, when I think our kids and I, I, you know, I'm having our nine-year-old try to, you know, journal a little bit during this time, because when you think back on this time, like you're going, well, let me tell you about the year of 2020, you know, kids were out of school and we got to ride our bikes during the day. And, you know, we were on school virtually and, you know, and, and adults didn't go to work. And, you know, like there's just a way of looking at this in, 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 different, in different postures. And I will say that in this moment, you know, there's no way to have known where I got it from. And there's no way to know um, in, in retrospect, like, you know, how I could have protected myself or others uh, without being in a plastic bubble. Um, and, 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 you know, in that moment, we didn't know enough about the virus and we certainly wasn't getting enough federal, you know, um, information to tell us how serious it is. And, and, and even now it's like, you know, the amount of deaths in New Orleans relative to um, the ability for us to be able to save lives on the front end by being serious about, you know, the impacts. And I, and I feel like, I, I don't know if you heard this, but I don't know if you remember early on, there was like talks about like African-Americans were, immune to the virus like oh we, we wouldn't even get it mm-hmm. and yeah, i was like yeah. oh this is it's crazy right like oh we're, we're, we're like 
you know, I'm not surprised, you know, it's just the first man made, you know, all that stuff, right, you know, right, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you feel, feel real good. Right. <laughs> and then next thing you know, it's like, well, actually the virus is disproportionately impacting people of color. And you're like, oh yeah. Cause man, we still poor. We still ain't got housing or food security. We got all these underlying stressors that, that take us out. We still make up the majority per capita in terms of our, our race in, 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 in the criminal justice system. Like there's just all kind of ways that we are susceptible to this virus. Um, and, and we're in, 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 in a lot of low paid, low wage jobs that in this moment are as essential as doctors. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the craziest part. It's like doctors and supermarket workers and you know cafeteria workers are all essential workers in this moment and and i you know i'm telling our cafeteria workers i don't know i'm like i've been able to see what's happening with in your where you all are at and in new orleans man we we stood up 43 feeding sites right after the virus relatively fast and we've been consistently feeding kids since we shut down or since the governor announced that we were shutting down schools and, and we were locking down the state in large respects, right? And we, I mean, I think we'll hit our 1 million meal uh, either the end of this week, which is tomorrow or ne- early next week. Mm-hmm. And the phenomenal thing about that is, you know, going and talk to our cafeteria workers is like, like this is a historical moment where like you guys fed, when you think about like in history, like you all fed the community during this pandemic like this there will never like when people talk about where were you during katrina or or where were you when 9 11 hit right like what were you what was your contribution and our cafeterias are able to say that they fed the community when no one else was feeding the community and and that is i mean look if that's not higher you know maslow's hierarchy of needs like level of of of, of essentialness and support you know i don't know what is and so the question then becomes we're not paying them what they need and deserve. What I'll tell you is I'm excited that we raised our wages for our cafeteria workers to $15 an hour. Um, so and not that that is, you know, what I think is, is what they deserve, but, you know, at the very least we're starting to get them on the pathway to some form of a livable wage, but there's a lot of our, our low, low, low wage workers in this moment who are stepping up, putting their lives on the line, not able to have, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to take breaks or even paid leave, they're getting threatened. And just to be able to make sure that grocery stores are stocked for, for others, you know? And so, man, bro, it's, it's, it's crazy to say all this, but we're living in some really uncertain times. And, and I think when we look at our policies and systems now, it just seems like we are just so backwards, man. Our teachers, like every, everyone who's stepping up in this moment, it just feels like we don't pay them enough. We don't support them enough. And, and then trying to fight the system to make that happen is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, 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 our, a lot of our, you know, school lunch workers, nutrition workers, um, cafeteria staff, they've been elevated across the country. Our, our teachers have been elevated. Um, our grocery store workers have been elevated, uh, commended, um, and it's a trip because I mean you know we 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 we're doing time and a half for people that are working, um, 
and uh, you know, certain a lot of businesses are going, a lot of people are going out of business. A lot of people are going to end up with record profits. Um, those both will mostly be the people that aren't on the ground that, that's walking away with record profits. You know, like yeah, like Zoom. Zoom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, got, they, they got my money. Like Zoom. You know? <laughs> like uh, like Whole Foods. You know, and Amazon. Um, and the way that our society, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're honoring people. And, and I know, you, I mean, you're a policymaker, you're really committed to improving New Orleans. Um, we, we spend a lot of this time talking about your experience being positive. I, I, I am curious, cause I, and I, I want to get a little into more of your story because I'm, I'm curious about, you know, I know you grew up in Compton, uh, you went to HU. Shout out to you. You know, you I know. know. You to, <laughs> I know you went to law school, and you uh, and you ran for another office, and and uh, unsuccessfully, but successfully, you know, we can kind of yeah, yeah. tap on that. But um, in terms of the house, right, like partner and children, and then your own maneuvering, like what what are the guidelines they're giving you? Can, are you going outside? Like, what's that kind of look like your day to day life? Yeah, yeah. So my my day to day life now. I mean, we're still relatively um, isolated. So me and my partner are still uh, isolated into a room. We share a bathroom. No one else is, uses that bathroom. Um, you know, by and large, when I'm in a space, you know, I make sure that I, you know, we wipe it down, sanitize it. Uh, but going outside in this moment is good because uh, we're just trying to strengthen up my lungs. Um, so I try to run, uh, get out there, get some good exercise, break up whatever mucus exists in this moment. Um, and, you know, hopefully positive, you know, take the time to, you know, get some self care because in this moment, isolation is really difficult. Um, not just for, um, you know, not just for me, but also for my partner and, and, and the kids. And so that's the thing, but you know, I'm, I, I'm conscious, I'm, I am conscious of it. I think our kids are as well. So there's been, you know, it's weird to say this cause um, I haven't really put a lot of thought into it, but you know, we I haven't touched the kids in our, in like a month. Like we, we're around one another and you know, you know, I'm mask on, you know, I'm, 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 I'm staying away, but, and we'll, you know, it's a lot of laughter, but it's, man, it's crazy. I'm that you're, you're giving me a realization on this, on this call. Like I haven't touched any of, any of the kids and like, like, you know, not a high five, not a like, oh, you know, wrestling or none of that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think we're just definitely cautious of that. And it's sort of like the new norm when you walk into any place of business. So, you know, I've gone out to get food and, you know, you, you know, you, your mask on and, and in some instances you might have, um, you know, there might be a little bit more protective gear that you might be wearing. And, and I'm still in a position where it's like, you see someone and in New Orleans, you're like, yo, you know, you want to, you want to hug them or dap them up or show a little, and like, you got a second guess. Like, I can't even, I can't do that. I, I don't even, I, you, you, you're like unlearning things that have, have kept you alive. And, you know, I, I told the story and I think many people in New Orleans would say this the same, like, you know, after Katrina, when things happened, like it was communal support that allowed certain folks to be able to survive. And, and that came with closeness and 
you know, connectedness and touching and, and being in a, in a place with one another. And this virus thrives in that type of environment. And mm -hmm. so now you're asking a communal people who have survived through, through tragedy uh, to do so not in a familiar way. And, and I, you know, I think it's a really difficult thing to ask of, of any population, but definitely those uh, of, of, of my brothers and sisters here in New Orleans who've dealt with you know, disaster after disaster. So, mm -hmm. yeah, Katrina. Katrina is how I uh, came to New Orleans. I came like in that whole wave of college students that, you know, came for like relief work, and um, you know, it happened in August of '05. I was there in spring of '06, and uh, I fell in love with the city. And um, it's such a magical place. It's such a beautiful place, man. And uh, and so hearing you reflect on that and, and you know, uh, yeah, elevate that. Like um, I went to, I went to, we drove through the Lower Ninth. I was with a group of college students and and seeing the devastation up close versus hearing about it on the news. It was like my whole mind was like blown, you know. Um, you, you grew up in Compton. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did you, yes. how did you make your way to New Orleans? So we, we have a similar story in that, man. I, so I grew up in, in Compton, California. My grandmother is from Louisiana. My grandfather is from Oklahoma. Um, and, you know, by and large, you know, uh, raised by Southern grandparents. And my mother was, a, was um, you know, born in California. My, my grandmother and grandfather migrated um, to California uh, in the 60s, in the 60s, I'd say. I think they, I think it was the 60s when they migrated. Uh, it, it was either the, it was the, excuse me, it was the late 50s, early 60s. Because okay. my mother was born in 66 and she was there by then. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was the late 50s, early 60s. And so, um, you know, part of that big wave of migration of, of African-Americans who were, you know, traveling, you know, to the, to, to the West, uh, to Chicago, you know, all, all, all throughout the country trying to get out of the South. And obviously there was a question um, that was asked in the book of uh, the warmth of other colors that talks about, um, that talks about, you know, were you braver if you left or were you braver if you stayed, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of like, you know, you, if you knew you were going to deal with oppression and, and, and racism in an, in, in an overt way, right? Were you braver if you stayed to deal with that? Or were you braver to go out and venture into a new world where you didn't know anybody, you don't have that stable, you know, family and, 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 and community, um, you know, which made you braver? And, and I, you know, I, I, I wrestle and I think Many families, uh, and I think many people of color wrestle with that idea pretty consistently about, you know, what makes you braver in the moment. Um, and, you know, I, I, my mother was a, an educator. Um, she was married, but found herself divorced, raising three boys relatively early on a Head Start salary, which put us in a, in a precarious situation where we had to take on state benefits to be able to survive. And so when, when I look back, where I'm at now financially, you know, I'm now in a different class of uh, than which my mother was, was living and matriculating through. Um, and definitely a different class in which my grandparents lived through, even though 
they were relatively educated and 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 you know did did relatively well for themselves um and and i'll say you know the reason i bring that up is to say in this moment you know getting to where i'm at in 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 new orleans now uh you know i i kind of feel like it's like a homecoming in some respects in terms of you know you know the responsibility of my grandmother's lineage uh, to be able to come home and, and, and do good work uh, on behalf of our community. Um, and just because you left, uh, you know, Louisiana doesn't necessarily mean that you are no longer a part of the roots of, 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 of that place. And so, you know, California is where I live and where I grew up, but my, you know, my grandmother, you know, has always instilled in me that, that, that sense of like, you know, trying to, trying to do right on behalf of others. And look, my, my grandmother is my heart, man. It's hard to say in this moment that she's fighting Alzheimer's because she, she really struggles with remembering stuff. But, you know, my grandmother was the reason why I became so tight when it came to education. Like she would, every time I come home, well, first of all, she'd pick me up from school. She was a teacher too. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't leave the table until she, you know, I, 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 I worked on my penmanship or math problems or just extra stuff, not even the stuff my teachers were having me do. And... <laughs> I, I used to, man, I, I used to hate my grandma. I was like, man, my grandmother is tripping, dude. Like, and every, I think it was, you know, it's crazy because they, they say this, like your kids will love you later in life. It, every time I, I see my grandmother after I graduated from college, man, like, and I get emotional thinking about this, like, man, I, I love my grandmother, man. I love her for sitting me down not allowing me to go out and do what I wanted to do, bro. Cause I wanted to go play and have fun. Mm -hmm. uh, my partner jokes about my penmanship now. She's always saying like, your, your, your penmanship is much better than mine. And you know, you should write the cards and all that stuff. And I just hug my grandmother every time. Cause I'm like, you made me who I am uh, by, by forcing me to do this a little bit more and, and believing in me to be able to do it. And so, you know, when, when I think about, you know, all that around paying homage and, and respect and all that stuff. So I get to, I, I, I finished school relatively early. So I'm, I had this hunger and thirst for knowledge and wanted to do a little different. So I started college when I was right before I started high school. So the summer between my eighth and ninth grade year, I took a community college class and I was, uh, I took an algebra two uh, community college class uh, and past that ultimately started high school with some both community college credit, but then also high school credit. And so my freshman year of high school, I was in, I was in pre-calculus uh, and trigonometry. And then from there, I, I took um, extra college courses uh, just to be able to, you know, get myself acclimated to the idea of going to college and being able to do it. And by the time my senior year came around, I was 15 uh killing it on the varsity squad no no let me stop <laughs> I, was 15. <laughs> I was 15 uh got my first college acceptance at 15 and then um got my acceptance to Howard University on my birthday uh April 1st and I knew for sure I was going there after that which is a crazy story in itself because I did not actually apply after the deadline I hate to tell this story Howard but I did apply after the <laughs> deadline uh it was because I was afraid um had a, had a really good SAT score, but was afraid that I would be rejected from a school that I always wanted, knew I wanted to go to based off of a black college expo that I went to when I was, you know, in, in seventh grade because I have an older brother and we were going for him. 
and Howard was the only school that paid me any attention as a seventh grader. And they were excited to say, oh, you know, we can't wait for you to come, young man. Little did they know it was only going to be three or four years before I had to come apply, you know, and so, uh, you know. International. <laughs> <laughs> man, it kept me, it, it, it definitely, and then you go to Howard and it's just like, man, it's like everything that, that the Cosby's, you know, and, 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 you know, the different world, it's just, it's all of that and you just fall in love and you fall in love with yourself you fall in love um with just consciousness and and where you're at in in the black diaspora and and from there katrina hits right and you know i'm in college just like you i mean we're we're similarly uh situated in that in that regard and i'm I'm actually working on the hill at the time for for uh, a congresswoman who's reclaiming her time right so i was working for maxine at this time and she was doing work uh, just to, around the housing front and around um, uh, banking and making sure that 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 there was support economically in 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 New Orleans around black banks and, and, and wealth and then ultimately the idea of being able to to get businesses flowing and up and rolling right and so I'm in her office I'm but the, the crazy part is less about being in her office it's more about uh, being in the lunchroom in in Congress during this time right. Uh, Bush's president, you know, if you've never been in a, in a congressional lunchroom or, or just even been a, a staffer or on the Hill, like it's majority young, white, you know, folks running, you know, the day-to-day of the Hill, like, you know, 20-somethings, uh, you know, if you're, if you're older age, you know, you, you really, you, you cut your teeth there and you are, you're, you're the man. But if you, if you have been there longer than three, longer than two years, you're, you're, you're considered a veteran in, in, in heel time because that's, you know, people matriculate in and out, in and out. And so, you know, what I'll say is this is around the time where the, you know, I think the, the language from, uh, from Kanye had come out basically saying George Bush doesn't like black people. And, you know, I'm in the lunchroom and you're hearing like, well, I wish these black people would take care of themselves and why can't they, all this other stuff, right? And so, you know, I think I started this, this rhetoric around like, you know, this, this consciousness of, 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 of are you braver if you stayed or braver if you came back and you gave and all this other stuff. And there's always this sense of like, when you make it to another uh, plateau of life, like you just leave where you came from and you just keep on living in that upper echelon of life where that's not necessarily the life that that like one motivated you f- to for you to be where you are nor did it um you know cultivate who you are as a person and so you know for me it was like i too came on these college trips to be able to support um new orleans and and bring it back to its glory and beyond uh because there's this belief that like yo we can we we got our own like you know fubu for us by us like we can do this and i believe in that truth and and so like you know that that's really what what got me down to new orleans and i came every year um during my my my, during college i came every year uh and then when i got into law school i i started leading the trips down um and and helping to to place students in different nonprofits uh that needed legal support and help uh, and then from there, I got a job offer, came down, started working. And, but, I, you know, I think just like you, um, that first time coming down, man, in, in, your, in, in the space, and I, I just remember 
uh, coming down is, you know, I, man, we were standing in, in some deplorable situations. Now, mind you, I've lived in South Africa and I, I've, I visited shanty towns in South Africa and um, was studying there at the University of Western Cape. And, and the, the, the conditions in South Africa were better, in my opinion, uh, yeah. in, in the shanty towns parts of, of South Africa was better than what I walked into in New Orleans at the time, right? Mm. Um, and we're talking like months after the storm, right? Not like, like right after. And so I'm sitting here like, this is crazy. Uh, and, and we were like gutting houses and, and trying to make sure, you know, all that stuff. And at the end, there was a, a young lady with a FEMA trailer, um, which was also just nuts if you've ever been in one. And this lady uh, had seen that we were Howard, a group of Howard students was down there and, and wanted us to, um, you know, she had made us a meal at the, at the end of the week of service or whatever that we were there. And she made it on this, on her little stove in, in this um, FEMA trailer, bro. And one, I couldn't eat it because I was, I couldn't stop crying, um, man. And I, I just think in that moment, I too fell in love with the city, but it was less about the city and more about the people, right? Like, damn, I love these people. And like, this feels like home and this is everything that I've always wanted it to, to be. And so, look, I, I thought, you know, you, you have the opportunity to go to college, go to law school and, and matriculate through those processes relatively early. And you're one of the best and brightest from your community. You know, why not give it back to your community? I mean, we, we see that, you know, we see the reverse in TFA, right? Where they're, they're going and doing what they need to do. And they're they're offering the opportunity to go and serve in in, in high needs communities, uh, and I too am smart, one of the best in my my class. And you know why not give back to my own high need community and, and be able to to, to support it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're so impressive. <laughs> um, and uh, you know the people in New Orleans are impressive too, in like a, in a very like yeah. uh, you know there's like I don't know. There's there's a there's a there's a there's a way of being that's that's um, really beautiful and impressive and like unlike other places, you know. Mm. Like a, a lot of uh, a lot of the great cultural innovations came out of that out of, out of that area. Like you know, like I'm not you know, I'm not ready to do it. Like you out there, right? Like you already know all this, but um, it's my my observations, and um, and I don't want to rush over all of the incredible personal accomplishments that you just dropped so casually like, <laughs> <laughs> when you just went through. So finished college at 16, went to Howard at 16, uh, then went to law school at what age? I was 19 when I started. All right. Yeah. Yes, I was All 18 right. my senior year of college. <laughs> and uh, right. it's always so, it's, I was 19 <laughs> when I was 19. <laughs> When I was 19, I was, um, I was throwing up in dumpsters because I had alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's you that's perspective. It's all perspective. <laughs> you were going, so I was a freshman at Williams with, and you were 19. I'm not, you know, I was like, you know, for, for most Americans, this is very unusual, right? Like high school, college, you know. And uh, and I just think you know I'm a big you up. You ain't got to do it. Just like I just want to check out the fact. <laughs> so 19 when you started law school, and uh, 
when did you finish law school? Uh, I, I had just turned 22. So right. I, because my birthday is April 1st, I, I normally, you know, you're, you're, you're basically doing the, the I'm leaving dance and going into your next year, man. So, you know, I, let, me, let me say this. The 16 thing is crazy because I have an older brother, right? And so I have an older brother who also graduated high school at 16. Mm-hmm. But he, he turned 17 right after because his birthday is July uh, 18th, right? And, and so, you know, I was like, that's cool, but I'm about to destroy you. Right? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, about, I'm, about to, <laughs> I'm about to come through and show you. So, like, being 15 and then turning 16, right? And, like, you know, I just got to 16, and I got a whole nother year before I turned 17. You know, like, you know, that, I was competitive in that way. Right. And for me, it was like the competitive spirit of it. it and, and, you know, I joke and, and talk about that. There was obviously also some some um, personal things going on uh, in my own house. And it's crazy. So I tell people, man, I, and it's funny to tell this side of the story. Um, you know, I moved out of my house when I was uh, when I was when I started high school to be able mm-hmm. to. Um, and I moved in with a Hispanic family that I, I had met over the summer. When I, when I was taking the, the, the community college courses, because I was in a community college course with a junior at the time who, you know, she was advanced in math, um, you know, and, you know, I guess it's all relative. And so, you know, her and I hit it off and I was like, look, it's going to take me, the, the, the school I got into was a law magnet school in, 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 in LA. And it was like, it, it had to, my, my bus stop in the morning was at five, it had to be like 5.50 in the morning or something like that. I was getting on the bus and they headed to school. And so, you know, you're talking about like an hour and a half, um, you know, each way matriculating to get to school or whatever, if not a little bit more. So I was like, man, I got to move in. I need to, I need to start off on the right foot. So I, I, I asked my mom to move out the house to move in with this Hispanic family who I had just met and just in order to like get acclimated to, going to the high school that was like, you know, that far away. Right. So I do, I, I do, uh, weeks there and then weekends at my grandmother's house and, you know, where my mom's in them. So, you know, that happened for a little bit and then I got acclimated. Then my mother got sick and I was, my brother had never, my brother graduated early, but he never walked across the stage. Uh, Mm -hmm. so he, he had to, he had to, to, to make up a couple of classes over the summer and they gave him his diploma. He was fine. Right. And so, but he still graduated early and all that stuff. But my, my mother never got to watch him walk across the stage. And so my mother was sick. She went to, she had this thing called Gillian Barre syndrome. And so she was fighting for her life. She's in a much better place, you know, um, physically now, but one of these odd diseases that is very rare and so, you know, I didn't, we didn't know what was going on with my mother, whether or not she would survive. And so, like, I was motivated and committed to this idea, like, you will see one of your sons walk across the stage, man. And, um, you know, being able to do it at the age that I did it. And, and it, it's, it's surreal now being 31, talking about what I was doing when I was 15, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, even thinking about, starting law school at 19 and having the opportunity to be around so many brilliant legal minds 
at, uh, you know, my classmates and, you know, my, uh, you know, my colleagues who were at school with me, you know, it was a, it was, it was a great, it was a great experience, but like, I couldn't go to the club. Like I couldn't even, I was 19, bro. <laughs> I could only go to the library, like with them, you know, like, so I, my social experience was like, was crazy. Uh, so, you know, and then at that time, it's like, it's different, right? You're not in college where you're trying to sneak into stuff. Like, you know, if you get caught doing something, like, you know, you could have, you could be in real trouble, right? So, you know, it, it was, it was a funny experience. I Man, I had, I had girlfriends in law school and, and then, you know, some of them were ashamed to be like, man, I feel like I'm, you know, dating Chris Brown or something like that, you know, like, you know, so it was, it was an experience, man. Um, and, and I remember being young and, and ambitious, but also being really ashamed uh, of being young, you know, like really feeling like, you know, if someone found out my secret about how young I am, you know, all the, the, everything's going to be out. And it's just crazy, like, living your truth and, and being comfortable. And the moment that I started doing that, the better, you know, the world just ended up opening up in, in different ways. But it, it's crazy that I say all that stuff to say, most people only hear the 16, 19, 22, you know, like to get to a law degree, right? But like there was so much strife and so many internal battles to even get to that state. Uh, and and I, I, I want to apologize for, you know, myself not even opening up to my, my own close friends who at a later date now, you know, when I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, I think many of them would say, you know, Ethan, you had it easy, even though they knew my, my upbringing, they knew I'm a cancer survivor, they knew my mother struggled, they knew my mother was sick, you know, like, all this stuff, and they'd be like, you know, Ethan, I think your story was relatively easy, and I, I think that's because, you know, many of us, when you are used to carrying the weight and burden of, like, dealing with life, you try to shun, or you try to hide, excuse me, the ugly parts of your story to get to where you got to. And, and I, you know, I will own that and apologize because I think many people believe that I am something bigger or better than what I am. And like, in real respects, you know, I'm not, I struggled and there was times where I didn't do well and there was times where I shined, uh, but every moment allowed me to, you know, just being grounded, allowed me to, to meet the challenge, uh, just being motivated on what it is that I knew I wanted to do. And, you know, money has never been my motivation. It has always been to figure out how to make sure that no young person, uh, you know, has to deal with the struggles of coming home to an empty uh, cupboard where there's no food or, you know, not getting the right type of supports that they deserve. You know, because being born in America, being born in this world is like a lottery. You know, you don't know where you're going to be born when you, you know, and you're not asking God to be born where you, you know, you just happen to be born there. And, you know, we, as, as, uh, as, a, as a world, we haven't collectively figured out how to support those who have never asked to really be here. Uh, and I think that is very selfish of us as, a, as humanity. Um, and as a kid who, you know, left his house at 13, went off to a different city that was across the country at, at, at 16, and then has never been home ever since that time. You know, like my mother, visited me twice when I was in DC and then you know I've never lived home you know so like it's it's a 
that struggle in my, my mind's eye is what, is what keeps me motivated because I know there's another young person who's dealing with the same idea. Like, am I love? Do I, am I mad? Like, do I matter? Is there someone thinking about me to make this world a little bit better? So when I, you know, when my children's children come into this world, that they'll be better situated and supported. And that's what I'm always thinking about. And that's what motivated me to, I think, matriculate the way I did. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're, I think you're, I love your humility and I think it's real. And I think that, uh, and, I, and I, I do appreciate you bringing up the aspects of like that transition that I think would also be hard on somebody, you know? Um, and, and I was doing it kind of in jest, but I, I actually enjoy celebrating you. I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm like funny, but like I, I really do think you well because it is inspiring. A lot of people that I, I talk to, I'm often inspired by. Um, you see, I'm, you see, I'm trying to deflect, bro. I'm trying to deflect. I, yeah, I know. You went to law school. I come all that. Talk to you all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we're 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 approaching the top of the hour. I didn't get I didn't get to we didn't get to talk about um, as much about your policy work, um, but uh, and some of the, all the things you learned in that realm. But uh, I think that we, we were able to cover um, a good amount. If, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Twitter, uh, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ethan, Ethan C. Ashley. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it is, uh, you know, three first names, so you can trust me. It's not just two. Ethan Charles <laughs> Ashley. Um, and you know, uh, you can find me. I'm 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 on every um, social media outlet, uh, that, that exists except for TikTok. Um, and I'm still weighing that out. Uh, but when I get it, I know, you know, I'm going to crush it because I feel it in my soul. Everything in me is, uh, feels like I could do this. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Ethan C. Ashley on, on most platforms, uh, but not TikTok, not just yet. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Brother Ashley, Commissioner uh, Ashley. Hey, JD Esquire. <laughs> hey, bro. I just, I just, I just want to thank you, man. Because uh, you know, I think when we look back, particularly on this time, uh, but also in our lifetime, being able to have orators who uh, are being very thoughtful about, you know, dictate or uh, being able to to make sure that we have the history of of, of our folks, but and the stories of our folks. I think it's really important um, and and I really appreciate it because you know I think being able to talk about both the failures and the successes of our community will allow people to learn uh, from the mistakes that we've been able to learn to, that we've made and hopefully that they'll do better uh, and so you know I just really appreciate you for doing this podcast I love you my brother and you know anything I can ever do to support you you know I'm always here for you bro right on right on oh, can we end can we end with you um you recited a poem the last time I was with you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, one of my favorite poems is a poem called Be Strong. Um, and so, you know, to all those who are dealing with life and trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet, what I'll tell you is this, be strong. We're not here to play, play dream or drift. We have hard work to do, heavy loads to lift. Shun not strike, face it for it's God's gift. Be strong. Say not the days are evil, nor who's to blame. Fold thy hands in aqueous. Stand up, speak out bravely in God's name. Be strong. It matters not how deeply entrenched the wrong, how hard the battles go on. Faint not, fight on, for tomorrow come strong. Be strong. Ethan Ashley.